for Gray Matters, 6.30 Ann Arbor. Okay, well, I, I usually know not to talk too loud. Your radio is on. It's on 88.3 FM. WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor's 24-hour open-minded radio surprise pudding. Licensed to the regents of the University of Michigan, operated by students at the University of Michigan, uniquely maintained as a healthy alternative and a positive influence on the mental health of the Ann Arbor community. You are here. What time is it? It's time for Gray Matters. Well, uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. My partner Jim Dwyer is uh, vacationing up north, so he should be back with us next week. And boy, he missed the rain. We got some rain. (laughs) We had a little bit of rain off and on. We're not uh, looking at... uh, Missouri here, where I, I've heard some places have not had rain in uh, literally almost uh, 80 or 90 days. Um, that may have changed recently, but uh, it's amazing how one day of rain, we got sort of a British-style rain for uh, about 24 to 36 hours. Probably not huge rain totals themselves, but at least it uh, has made Ann Arbor green again somewhat. There's still a lot of rat-colored grass out there, but uh, things look a little better. And we even are getting some sort of mild sprinkles as I speak. So many have lived with without love. Nobody has lived without water. W.H. Auden. Yes, indeed. Gray Matters giving you poetry every now and then. Well, one thing we're not going to get over the next couple of months is poetry. Uh, I'll briefly talk about Paul Ryan, uh, he, of course, was on the short list uh, for VP. And, uh, I, you know, I think Romney was kind of forced into this. Uh, he's been mildly declining in the polls. It's not so much that Obama has gone up. It's Obama's poll numbers, by the way, have been pretty stable for quite some time. It's that Romney's unfavorabilities have gone way up. And I think that he's mismanaged this uh, tax return thing massively. Um, And it even became a big campaign issue last week with Harry Reid's comments. Uh, My own issue with his tax returns is not so much that he reveal 20 years or whatever, but that the United States actually have a debate about Romney's ability to avoid taxes, the tax havens. I call it the Bermuda Triangle, this fishy IRA, the uh, Cayman Islands, and the whole Bain management thing. So I think that Romney, by picking Ryan, has changed the narrative briefly, but I don't think that's going to last terribly long. 
What's interesting about Paul Ryan is that I think the biggest losers out of this uh, this uh, announcement over the weekend, which uh, was very well, you know, closely held. Um, I didn't hear about this until Saturday morning on National Public Radio before I started listening to the uh, Bill Monroe for Breakfast show down here on CBN with uh, Tex doing quite an interesting show. Indeed, Lindsay Lou and the Flatbellies played live on WCBN FM Ann Arbor, one of the few stations where you can hear such uh, wonderful stuff, local music, wonderful band out of Lansing. But I didn't hear anything about this Friday night, even on the BBC. Of course, the Brits were still uh, focused on Syria, the situation in Egypt, and, uh, of course, the continuing Olympics. But the big loser in all of this strikes me, uh, the two big losers in all of this, is uh, Marco Rubio and Sarah Palin. Paul Ryan is now the new star of the Republican Party. And win or lose, he's going to be the... uh, leading contender in 2016. Um, He's a likable fellow um, in some ways. I think that he, uh, his personal story is compelling and all of that. And I think that the Obama uh, spokespeople over the weekend have acknowledged that that, uh, there's something compelling about the, 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 the man, even though he bears a striking resemblance to Eddie Munster. Um, but it's his, it's his economic ideas that are, that are, that are troubling. And of course he's been able to ramrod his budget through the last uh, two budget sessions in the house of representatives. And this now becomes the big, um, new debate. Uh, we're going to have more of a discussion of the budget taxes, uh, maybe even less about jobs, maybe more focus on Medicaid, because it's interesting that um, Medicaid is a program, by the way, that covers roughly one in six people. And uh, the, role, the, the roles have skyrocketed in recent years due to the recession. But because of the Supreme Court ruling recently, um, giving uh, the states a sort of optional... Um, thing where they can either opt in or opt out or expand their roles or whatever under the so-called Obamacare legislation, the Affordable Health Care Act. Uh, we're going to have more of a debate, I think, about these issues. And I think that's good. Uh, hopefully we'll have the debate. Unfortunately, I kind of doubt it. Mitt Romney has gone down in the polls slightly, I would say, over the last three or four weeks because he's just running a campaign of mush. Uh, His foreign policy uh, trip a couple of weeks ago really was a disaster. Uh, It's interesting to note, by the way, that I think the Brits had a great Olympics. There was all this carping about really minor things, but I think it did uh, wonderful things for uh, Great Britain's psyche. It's interesting to listen to the British uh, political establishment and the analysts on BBC discussing that aspect of the Olympics. Um, they did better in the Olympics than they've done really in ever. I, I seem to remember in terms of athletic performance. And there was something good about the 
feel-good aspect uh, for the, for Great Britain, and I think that the, the Olympics was a smashing success for them. So jolly good for Britain. Obviously, the economic benefits of the Olympics are still a matter of debate, and I heard a report today that uh, tourism over this last two weeks in Great Britain was actually down from a year uh, a year ago. So it didn't provide much economic stimulus. But there may be something beneficial to the infrastructure that was poured in. Obviously, British taxpayers are picking up the tab for the Olympics. And uh, it's interesting to note that recent hosts of the Olympics, including Barcelona and Athens, Spain, Greece, are two of the most troubled economic members of the European Union. Great Britain rehabbed a... uh, sort of dilapidated area of East London uh, in part to uh, facilitate uh, venues for the Olympics, and this may indeed be a permanent a benefit to the city of London and to Great Britain at large. Time will tell. Some cities have benefited from the Olympics. Others have not. And I think that that's an interesting long-term um, component. As for the Republican Party and Paul Ryan... Mitt Romney, yes, he may overshadow Romney for a couple of weeks. The crowds will certainly be bigger. He's uh, obviously brought at least a a glimmer of enthusiasm to the uh, campaign for the time being. But the Republican Party, what's fascinating about what's going on with the Republican Party is the fundamental uh, debate between the so-called Tea Party um, component and the so-called um, libertarian component. Paul Ryan is, is uh, characterized as somebody who was influenced heavily by Ayn Rand, which I find troubling because Ayn Rand, of course, uh, influenced Alan Greenspan heavily. And while Ayn Rand's philosophical ideas are interesting to debate, I don't think they're particularly applicable to the 21st century with the massive increase in uh, p- global population, the primacy of the individual is a wonderful thing to talk about. Ayn Rand, of course, an atheist, a sexual libertine, uh, probably kind of a vicious person to actually deal with in person. She sounded like she had a uh, mean streak, to say the least. And I've always uh, been very fond of uh, the movie... Uh, starring Gary Cooper, um, called The Fountainhead. Um, Atlas Shrugged is, of course, her sort of Bible for libertarianism. But when I hear Paul Ryan talking about physical conservatism, and he was even bringing up the deficit today, uh, complaining about the deficit under Obama, I uh, think that we need to get some factual information into the record that uh, brings reality to um, to the debate. Um, Obama's uh, presidency has been characterized by about 12% of the total deficit. It's interesting that Paul Ryan worked for Jack Kemp um, at one point, um, and he hasn't worked much in the private sector. He's kind of a local boy that did did good. And uh, I think that's always a good American success story to promulgate, advertise, 
and celebrate to some extent. But uh, the budget impact of, of the Ryan uh, plan, the so-called budget plan that Mitt Romney is both trying to simultaneously embrace and uh, distance himself from, is going to be a fascinating tension in the upcoming debate. It's, it's interesting to note that in yesterday's New York Times, a column was written by David Firestone, a member of the editorial board, the New York Times editorial board, sort of a gift, uh, uh, sort of a guest editorialist, talking about Mitt Romney's tax plan. I suspect, for the record, by the way, that he might have written this uh, before uh, Ryan was actually named. He's got a minor paragraph on on Paul Ryan, but he doesn't mention that he's been the VP um, nominee. He writes that Mr. Romney seems to have learned the value of political ambiguity when he embraced the work of Paul Ryan, the House Budget Committee chairman, whose spending blueprints would chop a similar amount from federal budgets without giving real details. Mr. Ryan's budgets at least provide a few clues to his priorities. More than three-fifths of the cuts would come from low-income programs like job training, Pell Grants, and food stamps. You'll never hear Mr. Romney discuss those cuts on the stump. And he goes into the ambiguity of, of uh, Romney's tax, con, tax cut uh, plan. He writes, the bipartisan committee, this is David Firestone, ran through the details provided by the Romney campaign and predicted that the tax plan would cost $1.3 trillion over nine years, an underestimate but a clear sign of its high, uh, its, its high price tag. He has made his economic plan the fundamental basis of his candidacy, and yet with the Republican convention just two weeks away, we know ne next to nothing of the plan's details, only that it will bring unemployment down to 6%. What little he offers of the plan are vague platitudes, shop-worn ideas from previous Republican administrations, and mathematically impossible promises. Mr. Romney's tax proposal is no different from any of the other aspects of his economic plan. He promises to cut non-defense spending by 5%, but he won't tell voters what programs that will affect. He wants to repeal Barack Obama's regulations that burden the economy, but he won't say which ones there are. He pledges to eliminate health care reform, but he won't discuss or even whether or how he would replace it. So uh, David Firestone's problem with Mitt Romney is there just aren't any details in his economic message. His campaign stump speech has struck me over the last several weeks to be very stale. There's a kind of petulant attitude to it. And I think this is explains why his his negative numbers have gone down over the past couple of weeks. I suspect that Paul Ryan, in, at the end of the day, was really selected because the Republican um, sort of uh, Washington talking heads sort of were almost demanding it. They were worried about uh, the, the rumors that, that Rob Portman would be the uh, uh, the vice presidential nominee the strength of Portman, by the way, was that he, he uh, um, 
is from the Cincinnati area, and Cincinnati is sort of a swing key district in Ohio. Barack Obama won the Cincinnati area in the 2008 election, and thus he won Ohio rather easily. And um, that's the battle in Ohio, those three or four counties that surround the greater Cincinnati area. And the professional uh, po political types thought that Portman could deliver this uh, area for um, uh, Mitt Romney. Paul Ryan has been catapulted into the spotlight, and I definitely prefer Paul Ryan to uh, Marco Rubio, who I think is a nitwit, and Sarah Palin, who I think is an absolute disaster. Trust me, Sarah Palin has probably taken a couple of quaaludes, and we won't hear much from her for quite some time. Incidentally, she's not speaking at the convention. Neither is Dick Cheney, neither is George a uh, W. Bush. Uh, they're going to be kept under wet stones for the remainder of the Romney campaign because they don't want to remind uh, voters of the disastrous fiscal policies of George W. Bush. And yet I, I'm puzzled by the complete disconnect in this election between the criticism, the linkage of the deficit, quote, under Obama, and the disastrous consequences of the Bush tax cuts. We are operating under the, the Bush tax cuts. Sorry, my mic just took a, a dive there. Uh, I'm not going to score it on the uh, Olympic scorecard. Um, uh, the, the, we're operating under the Bush tax cuts. The Bush tax cuts have been a catastrophe. Uh, recently, I read a book, and I, I recommend this book, particularly for its bibliography. Bruce Bartlett, uh, who interestingly, and the reason that I bring this up, is that he worked for Jack Kemp. He worked in the Reagan administration on the tax proposals of the, of the Reagan administration. The book's entitled The Benefit and Burden, Tax Reform, Why We Need It and What It Will Take. And this is a, um, not what I would call heavy scholarly book, but it's got lots of tables, lots of factual data, historical data, and of course it's got some Ross Perot charts. <laughs> Got to love the charts. But Bartlett is scathing in his cr criticism of the Bush tax cut and the uh, empty rhetoric that's been used by the right-wing think tanks in Washington to promote this rubbish that's still being promoted and promulgated by Mitt Romney. Uh, and, and by the way, he's got an interesting historical analysis of taxes in America uh, how the government was funded at various times, the whole history of the tariff, why the income tax came into being. And, of course, he's got an interesting chart showing the tax increases that occurred under Ronald Reagan. There weren't uh, just a few. There were dozens of tax increases under Ronald Reagan to deal with the, the uh, deficit. Uh, so don't believe the hype when you hear Republicans talking about Reagan and tax cuts. Yes, there were some tax cuts. Uh, Bruce Bartlett worked on the original so-called Kemp-Roth bill in 1981. What that did, by the way, was create, at the time, the biggest recession in American history and the largest deficits in American history at the time. Writing about the Bush tax cuts, and of course, uh, Bartlett is, is a longtime Republican who's troubled by the um, sort of 
overtaking of their party by Grover Norquist and this pledge never to increase taxes no matter what. By the way, we've seen how badly that's worked in the state of California uh, following Proposition uh, 13 in 1978 under uh, Howard Jarvis. Um. He writes, Bartlett, back in the 1980s, the conservative commentator George Well repeatedly argued that America was undertaxed. At least a few conservatives make that argument today. In 2011, April, Reagan's budget director, David Stockman, was asked about the deficit. He said, I think the biggest problem is revenues. It's simply unrealistic to say that raising revenues isn't part of the solution. In August 2011, the University of Chicago law professor Richard Posner said the growth in the deficit cannot be arrested without more tax revenues. He then shows charts showing that the American people, overwhelmingly by a margin of two to one, favor a combination of increased revenues and spending cuts. Mitt Romney and Paul Ryan are only going to offer spending cuts with, quote, no increase in tax revenue. It's interesting, he then notes that under Bill Clinton, uh, when taxes were slightly increased, um, he goes into the evolution of the, of the Bush tax cut, uh, growth soared, and uh, the predictions made um, by uh, the, the conservatives on Bill Clinton's tax increase were all incorrect. Um, the government ended up with surpluses and record growth. He writes that the reason that the 2001 Bush tax cut failed to achieve its purpose is to recall its genesis. It grew out of a plan developed in mid-99 by Bush's principal economic advisor, Lawrence Lindsay. One con- other contributors included Michael Boskin, John Cogan, Martin Feldstein, and John Taylor. should hasten to add, by the way, that Lawrence Lindsay was forced out of the Bush administration when he committed a, quote, gaffe, when he admitted under con- testimony before Congress that the Iraq war would cost somewhere between 100 and 200 billion he was shown the door in fact the Iraq war has cost 1 to 3 trillion dollars and it has not been paid for uh lindsay was the chairman of economic advisors in the early years of the bush administration forced out uh, in 2003 bush's tax plan was announced on december 1st of 1999 in which Lindsay claimed the tax cut is an insurance against economic recession. Um, Bartlett points out, Bruce Bartlett points out, that in 1999, the last thing the economy needed was stimulus. Real GDP was 4.2% that, le- that year, well above the post-year uh, trends. And unemployment um, was at 4.2%. He then notes the failure of the Bush uh, tax uh, plan in terms of its overall impact. Uh, And and these numbers, when you look at them, are absolutely staggering. I mean, they're not not small numbers. We're talking about the fact that Bush inherited um, basically uh, surpluses, and in eight years under George Bush, these surpluses evaporated. 
In 2011, the Congressional Budget Office, CBO, calculated that the Bush tax cuts, this is Bartlett now, increased the national debt by $3 trillion, including debt service. As one can see, CBO is projecting about a $6 trillion surplus when Bush took office. Instead, there was a $6 trillion deficit for a fiscal turnaround of $12 trillion. The wars in Iraq weren't paid for. The wars in Afghanistan weren't paid for. Medicare Part D wasn't paid for. Paul Ryan voted for all of this. Fiscal conservative, uh, don't believe the hype. Now, one thing that I did want to get to, because uh, we can certainly talk more about Ryan in upcoming shows. By the way, he wants, you know, the remarkable thing is he wants to preserve Medicare for the elderly currently. He, his plan is basically to take people that are 55 years and under and tell them you have to go get vouchers and pay the bill. There's one problem with this. Over the past 25 years, this is from a recent Harper's Index, the percentage change in the past 25 years in the net worth of Americans 65 years and older, plus 42, of Americans 35 years and younger, negative 68. We've already had a massive redistribution of wealth. The deficits were created by the people that voted for Nixon, Reagan, H.W. Bush, George W. Bush, let them pay the bill, but they don't have the courage to pay it. And they're not going to talk honestly about why we have the deficits. My only critique of, of Bartlett's book, which I think is outstanding on general macroeconomic uh, theory um, and empirical data, is that I don't think he looks enough at demographics and the cost of war. Well, one person that knew the cost of war was Gore Vidal. And Gore Vidal passed away uh, a week ago, one of the last true public intellectual writers, kind of public figures. I hasten to say that these uh, types of people will probably uh, disappear a little bit from uh, the landscape because America doesn't celebrate literary uh, genius and wit. And Gore Vidal, I think, was greatest more as an essayist than a... Uh, uh, novelist. Uh, his his novels are interesting. They're historical novels. But I did want to read in the in honor of the 40th anniversary of Watergate his famous essay called Bremer Wallace and Hunt. This appeared and the Hunt, of course, refers to E. Howard Hunt. This appeared in the New York Review of Books in uh, on the 13th of December 1973 Richard Nixon had not yet resigned but at that point it, his resignation was inevitable he was in, he'd already um, the taping system had been revealed and he had participated in the Saturday night massacre uh, in which he fired the special prosecutor and uh, various attorney attorneys general resigned in protest and uh, his presidency was uh, pretty much over by that point just a matter of time. So he talks a little bit about the um, shooting of George Wallace. Uh, and, of course, Watergate tapes indicate that Nixon was on top of the George Wallace shooting um, at the time. On the very night of the shooting, he had a one-minute phone conversation with Charles Colson, in which uh, Richard Nixon, uh, trying to get a sort of an update on the situation, um, asks Colson whether Bremer is uh, is a uh, uh, he calls uh, Colson from the White House phone at 
8.23 p.m. This is from the Stanley Cutler book. Here's Nixon. Is he a left-winger or a right-winger? Colson says, well, he's going to be a left-winger by the time we get through, I think. Nixon, good, keep at that. Colson, yeah, I just uh, wish that, God, I, I wish I'd thought about planting a little literature out there uh, at uh, Bremer's apartment in Milwaukee. Nixon laughs. Colson says, it may be a little late, although I've got one source that maybe Nixon says, good. And Colson says, you could think about that. I mean, if they found stuff near his apartment, and then the phone conversation ends. Well, Gore Vidal speculates on this infamous uh, planting of literature uh, in response to um, an AP story that he had read over the summer by CIA official Miles Copeland. He writes, Miles Copeland is reported, this is uh, Gore Vidal here, is reported to have said that a senior uh, agency officials are convinced that Senator Edmund Muskie's damaging breakdown during the presidential campaign last year was caused by convicted Watergate conspirator E. Howard Hunt or his henchman spiking his drink with a sophisticated form of LSD. When Wallace ran for president, and by the way, you are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, in 1968, when Wallace ran for president, he got 13% of the vote, and Nixon nearly lost to Humphrey. In May 72, 17% favored Wallace in the Harris poll. In Michigan, he walked off with the Democratic primary. Were he to continue his campaign for president as an independent or a Democrat in states where he had not uh, filed under his own name, he could have swung the election of the Democrats. And by the way, uh, it's it's now established that uh, Nixon called Wallace and told him that he could not run as an independent, uh, that if he did, uh, the IRS would audit his taxes. This was one of the uh, articles of impeachment in which Richard Nixon abused the IRS for political purposes. This is why, by the way, Wallace in 72 was running as a Democrat at the time. Anyway, he got shot. On May uh, 15th, 1972, by Arthur Bremer in Laurel, Maryland. Here's Gore Vidal. It was, he was easily identified as the gunman and taken into custody. Nearby a rented car, the police found Bremer's diary. Odd that in the post-Gutenberg age, Oswald, Sirhan, and Bremer should have all committed their paper, their pienses, which is a Latin word, I believe, for writing and thinking. Bremer's Diary is a fascinating work of art. From what we know of the 22-year-old author, he did not have a literary turn of mind. Among his effects were comic books and some porno. He was a television baby and a dull one. Politics had no interest for him. Yet for, uh, suddenly, for reasons he never gives us, he decides to kill the president and starts uh, to keep a diary on April 4th, 1972. According to uh, Tad Zolk in uh, March 72, E. Howard Hunt visited Dita, call me mother, Beard in Denver wearing a red wig and a voice modulator. Hunt persuaded Dita to denounce as a forgery the memo she had written linking ITT's payoff to the Republican Party with the government's subsequent dropping of the best part of its antitrust suit against the conglomerate. For somebody who is supposedly is nearly illiterate. There are startling literary references and flourishes in the Bremer Diary. The second entry contains, 
contains, You've heard of one day in the life of Ivan Denisovich. Yesterday was my day. The misspelling of Denovich is not so bad at all, considering the fact that the name is a hard one. Even for English-speaking people to get straight, it's something of a miracle that Bremer could sound out the four syllables of the name correctly in his head. Popular paperback f- 